Welcome to the Beers and Bible Podcast, a podcast that explores God's Word while enjoying the fruits of God's creation. You can find us on Instagram at Beers and Bible underscore, on Facebook by searching Beers and Bible Podcast, and on Twitter at Beers and Bible P1. You can also email us at Beers and Bible Podcast at gmail.com. If you enjoy what you hear on Beers and Bible, please consider leaving a five-star rating and a review on your podcast platform to help us promote this podcast. Billy Currington summed it up well when he said, God is great, beer is good, and people are crazy. So let us join our hosts, Michael and Anthony, for this week's discussion. Welcome to episode number 142 of the Beers and Bible Podcast. I am Michael. And I'm Anthony. And it's good to be back for another week. It sure is. Of the Beers and Bible. <laughs> I, need, I need a drink. I, the, you and me both, bro. <laughs> this week has been this week has been crazy busy. We hired a new guy at work and we've been training him. Um, I was actually out of work today because both of my sons were sick. Um, so Jerks. And we got... Basically, we didn't get a lot of sleep last night, and uh, yeah. So to the end of a, it's nine thirty p.m., and <laughs> we've got a bit of recording left to do before we can before I can lay my head down. The good news um, is tomorrow's Friday. That is the good news. That's <laughs> very good news. So, um, but yeah, what's going on, Anthony? How are you? How are you doing? Man, we are busy. We're busy. We're busy. So big things happening for us. Um, a couple of months ago, we were as a family, we were able to just purchase some some land, and uh, we got to get to work on that this week. So we went out there. Uh, a friend of mine went out there with a skid steer and started grinding up and mulching the woods. It's basically we we bought woods, <laughs> so we got to grind it down and get all the the underbrush out and and uh, get all that done so we can. Um, start making plans. We're eventually down the road. We're going to be making plans to build us uh, a new house. It's going to be a house that hopefully uh, we're going to spend the rest of our lives in. That's the plan, at least. Um, we've we've already done that once, and then we sold that house. <laughs> so it happens. But uh, but yeah, man, it's been good times for us here in uh, in Kidland. Um, work is uh, work is just about the same as it always is. Busy and frustrating and you know, it is what it is. <laughs> I can relate to that. Yes. So, but that's where we are. How about you guys? What's happening in your world, man? Well, other than the kids being sick and, uh, you know, getting adjusted to my new job still, I'm the end of the five weeks now. So things are going good there. But I mean, we're just, we're busy, man. There's, mm -hmm. it feels like there's something going almost every day or every <laughs> night um my wife's sister gets married in a few weeks so we're preparing for that in anticipation nice. of a of a good time there and everything but it's just when you think you've got everything figured out life has a way of slapping you in the face <laughs> and being like hey remember that time you thought you had it all together well just true kidding. words have never been spoken <laughs> so um tonight let's get to drinking let's get into our beer review um yes. I'm actually really excited for both of us tonight because yours looks good and I'm excited about mine for yep. reasons that will be obvious here in a minute. But uh, why don't you go ahead and fill us in on what you're drinking tonight? 
Yeah, so uh, new to the Beers and Bible podcast is Sloop Brewing, and they are in, I looked, it's in New York, I think. Hampton, no, New Hampshire. Hampton, New Hampshire. And Hopewell, New York. Hopewell Junction, New York. So both places. Um, It is called Sour, spelled S-A-U-E-R, Sour Mm -hmm. Peach, Burliner Weiss. Uh, It's, I mean... I have grown, I've learned through this podcast that I kind of enjoy Berliner Weisses. There's several that I've had and I've gone back and like got them to me there. I feel like a Berliner, especially a tart one like this is like, it's the happy medium between like regular beer and sours. And I'm Mm -hmm. sours are still growing on me. So I think Berliners are the way to get me into, into, into liking sours a little bit more. They're the Um, gateway. They're the gateway for you. (laughs) Yes, they are. Um, so this is a sour peach. Um, and this, I mean, it's real simple. Tardy, fruity, refreshing. That's what their website says. And it says it is a pale uh, and wheat malts fermented with real peaches. Hopefully they use Georgia peaches and not some like New York peaches, but um, real peaches for a sweet, refreshing sour uh, for a perfect summer day. And, you know, I went and got uh, a few beers from my favorite store, this week and brought them back and I was, I was talking to my wife. I was like, which one should I do first? And she's like, you need to do that one because, uh, this episode is going to be like at the end of September and it's getting ready to go into fall. And the other two beers that I have are very fall ish. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to, I'm going to save those for the next couple of weeks as we move into fall. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so this is like my last hurrah for summer doing a, a, a peach sour Berliner Weiss from Sloop mm-hmm. Brewing. So, very nice. What do you have for tonight? So tonight I am going back to the Scofflaw Brewing Company. This is their third beer that we've reviewed. I've mm. done one and or I think you and I did one. Yeah. It was a long time ago. It was Dirty the Dirty Beaches. That's that right. was almost a hundred episodes ago. And then you did another one. Um I don't remember what it was. I just looked at it, yeah. but I don't remember. And so tonight I'm doing the Sunshine Orange Sour. From Scofflaw. This comes in at 5.7 ABV. Uh, Scofflaw is located in Atlanta. The can is really cool. I can't go into all the details on it because <laughs> there's some, uh, let's say, questionable language on the can. Um, we would have to mark this uh, episode as explicit if we read the can. We'll just say it that way. How about yes. That? <laughs> I mean, it doesn't. There is. I, I didn't tell you about this. There's one word that I just remembered is in the corner, kind of real small that you can't really see. But um, it's not on Scofflaw's website. But if we go to uh, untapped description there, which I assume just comes straight from Scofflaw, uh, it says life is too short for negativity and bad beer. So we created a crushable orange sour to brighten up your days. After all, we could all use a little happy juice. Um so True that <laughs> sunshine orange sour. I love sours. That's been we've talked about that at length mm-hmm. here on the podcast. And um, I am anticipating a, a, a very, very pleasant experience for myself here. Nice. So um, there's only one, one way to find out what we have. And that's to crack them open and get to drinking. Let's do it. Here we go. Three, two, one. For a split second, I had a panic attack because mm-hmm. I just trimmed my fingernails a couple of days ago, and I wasn't <laughs> sure if I could get my fingernail up underneath <laughs> the uh, the tap, the tab. So I regularly talk about me scrolling through TikTok, and while I'm pouring this up, I'm going to do that again. Um, 
I was scrolling the other day and this uh basic white chick uh is on TikTok and she's like shakes her That's Starbucks a good pour coffee. right there. That is a good pour. She shakes her Starbucks coffee and is like, name a better sound. And then it immediately somebody stitched it and it immediately cut to a dude holding a beer and he just cracks the beer open. I was like, facts, mad facts yes. right there. <laughs> yes. Good grief. Dude, check out this is kind of clear. That's a that's a good looking beer. We have very yes, similar colors going on here. Yes, we do. Well, well, let's turn them up and drink them and see how they taste. I like how you and I a lot of times will transition the same way. Like we'll <laughs> say it at the same time or at about the same time. It's hilarious. It's like we know each other or something. Okay. Bottoms up. Bottoms up. Let's do it. Yep. I can nail this one down pretty quick. Go for it. Um, this is really good. Um, the peach flavor. So they they said it was sweet peaches, which I mean, I guess there is such thing as sweet peaches, but it says peaches for a sweet, refreshing sour. I don't quite get the the sweet. Um, it's more tart than it is sweet. I was I was kind of expecting the sweet of the peaches to mellow it out a little bit. But the flavor is really good, and it it does have that same consistency as as most the Burliners do. It's it's real light, real refreshing. Mm-hmm. Um, this this is a fantastic like summer beer for sure. Um, that all that I'm I'm not gonna give it five Luthers. It is really good, but I'm not gonna give it five. So I'm gonna come down. I'm gonna give it four and a half Luthers. Um, just because it's it's just a little too tart. For me, for what I was expecting, I guess, you know, when I think peaches, um, I think like uh, peach cobbler, like that's mm-hmm. the kind of flavor of peaches I'm, I'm getting yeah. in my mind. So it's just a little bit too tart um, for me, for my likings on peaches. So if you like really tart peaches, you'll probably love it. Um, it is a great beer. It's a great flavor, consistency, texture. All the things are right. Um, very well, brewed very well. And yeah. Four and a half Luthers for for me on this uh, sour peach. You know, you were talking about peaches not really being <laughs> sour. Mm-hmm. To me, I think they are sour before they turn ripe. I think that's when they're sourest, yep. probably. Like the longer sweet. they sit, the sweeter they get. That's for right. Sure. So, like, if you get like a super hard peach from the store and try to cut into that thing, like when you get mm-hmm. home, it's going to be more sour than if you yep. wait a few days. So true that. I, I understand like how they can justify calling peaches sour. Okay. Yeah. Um, so the orange sour that I have from Scofflaw is also very good. Um, the, the beer smells like orange juice. Really? Like, like straight up orange juice. Um, it doesn't taste like it. It's missing. Um, that may just be like the consistency isn't orange juice. It's mm-hmm. beer. Um, it's not like a mimosa is it no it's not like it's not a mimosa at all orange juice and champagne hey don't sleep on those okay um, they'll wreck you (laughs) this is really good I mean short of like I I can't give it five either because it's like 
doesn't have the wow factor. Something something's just missing from it. I can't I can't I don't know if it's like if I want a little more orange flavor. Mm-hmm. Um, the texture and everything is great. It's super light. It's really crisp, which I know I think I feel like I'm saying that every week at this point. <laughs> um, but I feel like the orange flavor just needs a little bit more to push it all the way to five Luthers. I'm also, yeah. I feel like you and I have been reading the same notes for the last few weeks. I'm giving mine four and a half as well um, out of five, just because, I mean, it's really good. I would go back and get more of these. Yeah. Um, so I'll tell you a funny story about um, the beer I got tonight and what I'll be having for the next several weeks. It's not a funny story. It's just a story. Um so I have gotten to the point where I don't want to buy six packs of stuff that I'm going to end up pouring out mm-hmm. if I don't like it. I'm looking at UIPAs. Um, <laughs> and so I go to the local, I go to a grocery store here. Kroger is not just, it's not just here. It's, it's in a lot of places. Um, and at the Kroger in our town, they have um, a thing where you can build your own six packs. So there's like individual cans of, craft beers and some bit of the big box stuff too mm-hmm. um and you can build a six pack for like eleven dollars and get a lot of variety without having to buy six of something that you may or may not like yeah so this was in i I went and did that today and uh got this in a in five other beers so i'm set for a little while but the burp is very orangey <laughs> i don't know if y'all could hear that excuse me um so anyway, that's the uh, the Scofflaw Orange Sunshine Orange Shout Orange mm-hmm. Sunshine Orange Sour. Why do they do that? Because it's fun to try to tongue twist yourself while you're drinking beer. Well, yeah, that's what I need. So <laughs> four and a half Luthers on the Sunshine Orange Sour. Nice, nice. You know, it's funny you you talked about your your IPAs and going going to the buying one at a time and. You know, we we had to do two different IPAs during our our big box bash mm-hmm. thing, and I still have some of mine. And so I have bought uh, one of these. Uh, they use them on farms. It's like a big uh, natural fly catcher. It's a net and mm-hmm. it has a little saucer, like a little saucer yeah. on the bottom. And I was reading, and they they suggest that you just put a whole bunch of like almost like a mini compost is is like you throw eggshells and food and stuff in it um but one of the things they recommended was pouring once you get a little bit of food in there pour beer in it because the beer will the the smell will attract flies and so i think i may have already told part of this story um so i've been using my ipas to pour uh to basically fill up the little saucer with some other stuff just to help track flies if we go outside and hang out on the porch or whatnot but the other day i was sitting on my porch having a beer and I had poured that IPA and stuck some junk in there to try to attract flies and looked over. There was not a single fly on my fly trap, but on my empty yingling bottle, there was like nine flies crawling around in the lid. So what you're saying is even flies have good taste in beer. <laughs> they don't have brains that are functioning at any capacity, but they can, they, they know they good still beer. know that IPAs are trash. So today... Um, I did a fridge clean out. I do that, you know, once every few months, just to stuff I know I'm not going to ever drink. Yep. Um, I poured out a bunch of IPAs from mm. from the big box bash and from before, even before that. Um, it's a good feeling, wasn't it? 
It was great. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna make a motion here, and if there's any opposition, you can message us on socials and stuff. Yep. But um, I'm gonna make a motion that the Beers and Bible Podcast will never <laughs> intentionally review IPAs ever again. Uh, I second that motion. Uh, is there and any opposition? Negative. Ghostwriter. Okay, okay. The motion passes. Motion. The Beers and Bible Podcast <laughs> is no longer no longer accepting IPAs. Well, there's our beer reviews for the week. Uh, hope you enjoyed that. We got the sour peach and the orange sour thingamajigger that Michael did coming in both at four and a half Luthers. Uh, it's a good week for sours here on the Beers and Bible podcast. Uh, but now we're going to take a break like we normally do, and we're going to come back and we're going to talk about the book of Esther. So stick around and we will be back. We hope you enjoyed. What? I said you. Yeah. <laughs> okay. That was a weird way to come back. I apologize. Um, we hope you enjoyed our beer reviews uh, before the break. We hope you enjoyed the musical break that is the same as it has been for months now. And before we jump into our study in Esther, we just want to remind you of the RFP Network for the Sake of the Gospel Conference. It's coming up November 3rd and 4th in Danville, Virginia at Hope Church. Um, where the uh, RFP Network podcasts will all be coming together and taking part in that. Um, cost for that is $50. I believe you can still uh, go to the Recovering Fundamentalist website and uh, register for that. Um, that $50 covers your costs for the conference. So um, if you want to come and uh, hang out with us and the other members of the RFP Network, we'd love to meet you and, and get to do that. We'll uh, we'll find a place to go go have a few beers and, and enjoy some good fellowship and some good um, good time together. So, um, but don't forget November third and fourth. That's coming up here in a few weeks. And uh, Anthony and I are very excited about uh, getting mm -hmm. to be a part of that. Uh, so um, now that that commercial's out of the way, let's jump into the Book of Esther. Let's talk um, about Esther. So. Um, I'm trying to remember. Was that? Yes, that was. So uh, a few years ago, the mm -hmm. church that you and I were a part of did a <laughs> Esther series <laughs> at Christmas time. Oh, that's fun. Maybe that was Ruth. I may be getting them confused. All right. So this week we are going to jump into the book of Esther and we're going to fly through this because um, we can. Um, <laughs> no, it's a... Uh, it's a great book. It, it's a um, it's a very um, interesting and intriguing story mm -hmm. in in scripture. Um, and let let's just get right into our you know the system we have established over the last few weeks with our study here. So, um, just some things to remember as you're reading through the Book of Esther. Um, this is a story of God's preservation of His people under the Persian Empire through uh, Mordecai and Esther. Um, this book takes place during the reign of Xerxes, 
um, which is from years 486 to 465 BC, mm-hmm. which is about 40 years before the events of the books we uh, went through last week, uh, Ezra and Nehemiah. Um, and one of the, uh, some something else to remember, sorry, is that uh, God providentially cares for his people in the middle mm-hmm. of a genocide here in the book of Esther. Um, and this, the uh, the events of Esther established the Feast of Purim mm-hmm. to celebrate the deliverance of the Jews from Persia, which we will uh, get to here in a little bit. Yeah. So um, it's Purim. If if you want to get technical, it's Purim. Well, um, some of us didn't go to seminary, Anthony. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So that we're was, just that having. Was, that was a really good. That was a really good stab. I'm not gonna lie. It's better than most most people would do but um purim it it was interesting because i've i've always like i've heard of purim and it's not one of the like the feast of the lord from leviticus or anything like that but they they still celebrate it and they they celebrate it because of the story of esther and apparently at purim there is a fair amount a fair amount of uh we'll just call it imbibing in the glory of the liquids that come from the grape uh they do a lot of wine drinking uh, during that to, to celebrate. So I thought that was kind of interesting. I was reading that on a couple of different, just kind of getting a little bit of information about Purim. And I was like, well, that's kind of fun. That's what we do. And that's what they do at Purim. So that's what we're going to do tonight. Um, but anyway, that's a, that's a total sidebar and and not at all a part of our conversation tonight. So, um, So when we talk about Esther, though, and we talk about ways that we can read Esther. There's, it's really interesting because Esther is one of just a couple of books in the in the Bible that don't mention God. Really, I mean, really at all, not even kind of by name. But it's one of it's also because the writer understood his audience and he knew his audience would interpret what he was writing as basically God working through this. Right, um, he, he, and so. He, the writer knew that the readers would be able to link exactly what was going on to, yeah, exactly. And so you have to take that and you have to filter kind of everything through that. And again, I mean, the the whole point of this, of what we're kind of the main points of what we're doing is to give you a, uh, a framework to sit down and read a book. Okay. Mm-hmm. How would a an original reader read it? That's that's kind of the goal here is how would an original reader read it? Um, and so they are going to have God as their framework. Like it's it's almost like it's presupposed. God is presupposed in the book. Um and you know, so it doesn't have to be mentioned. Yeah. It's interesting though that a lot of times when you hear sermons on Esther or you know, you read whatever about they they harp on that. God's not mentioned mm-hmm. and they sit on that for a long time and never. Yeah. And again, it's that whole exegete, eisegies, yeah, eisegete <laughs> thing. Like people, like they fail to mention that the writer knew that the audience that was reading this book would know that God was present throughout the events exactly. of the book and mm-hmm. just because he's not named doesn't mean he wasn't there exactly exactly hmm. that is uh when you when you make that argument you're making what's called an argument from silence um 
uh, which is a it's a logical fallacy uh, yeah. because you're saying that because something is not mentioned that it's not there um and you're or you're concluding that it's not there and that's not right. always a logical conclusion so right um but there are two big factors that that do go into reading this this book and and as we're going to see one of them is is religious but the first one i think it's really interesting because um this is really getting back to almost like a histories. You know, we had, we talked about Ezra Nehemiah being this like quasi prophetic quasi history, um, kind of middle ground book. Esther really goes back to being a narrative. It's a true narrative, um, almost narrative, like think all the way back to the Pentateuch in the, in the Genesis narratives where you're telling a story and you're telling it in a way that's meant to captivate your audience. And so, um, these that's going to be a big part. The literary structure of Esther is going to be a big part. And as the story goes along, you're going to see these ironies that pop up. And and this, I mean, this is a this is a literary function that the author is using mm-hmm. to paint this story. And and that's how you get the ideas of the antagonist and the protagonist and who are the good guys and who are the bad guys. The narrator really sets these up well through this use of irony. Um, you know, one of them is, is Xerxes. So in the book, if you have an American new translation, uh, it probably says the word our house, a U E R H A U S our house, um, who, who is Xerxes. So Artaxerxes in Persia is before Xerxes. And then in the Hebrew Bible, he is basically it translates or it transliterates as our house, but his Persian name would have been Xerxes. So we're gonna I'm I might use those interchangeably because I'm familiar with both. Um, but for I mean, just for kind of like historical purposes, the Persian king was Xerxes. Okay. Um, so Xerxes is ruling and he's trying to do this banquet, as we're gonna talk about in the overview here in just a minute, but he ends up deposing his wife and then that's how Esther becomes king. And so you, this, this literary story is painted through irony The the other big one in the, in the uh, book is going to be the, the character of Haman who builds these gallows and, and then ends up being t- uh, toppled by the gallows that he built to, to basically destroy the Jews. Um, you know, he's trying to manipulate the system. He's trying to play politics and he's trying to do all these things. And, you pick that up through the literary structure of the book. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's going to play a big, you know, you have to be able to read those and see that, see what the author's doing. Um, This is very much like a movie script. I like it. It almost reads like a movie script. Um, And you got to, you almost, you have these different scenes and, and these different um, things that happen. And, and this really kind of, it really does kind of get to a progression of events. And, you know, we've talked about, uh, sometimes events are not chronological in in other books, and in this book, I would argue um, that this this really is a chronological book. And so, so you have this story unfolding and this story being told, and that makes up this literary structure. Okay, yeah. So, talk a little bit about the religious factor, but that's going to be woven into this literary structure. Yeah. So, you know, there's there's two factors in the story of Esther and the religious factor is is one that's is is difficult to like pinpoint because it's not like really stated throughout the book, but you can see it if you take a step back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So 
Um, yeah, Anthony already said God is never mentioned in the book by name. He has never mentioned that his presence is there or that um, so-and-so is God-fearing or a mm-hmm. person after God. Like that's never mentioned. Um, but even though that even though he's not mentioned, the author, like we've already said, expects his reader to see God's work throughout the entire story. Yeah. Um, and we've and we've talked about it in other studies too, how we, you know, you can look back and see God working um even when in the moment or in that season mm-hmm. it, it it felt like God wasn't there. Yeah. And so it's it's a very similar idea here where the writer's not explicitly saying God is the reason that all these things happened that led to the end result. But the mm-hmm. author also trusts that the audience is going to have that knowledge already. Exactly. Um, so, um, you, you, you know, some might read these as events that just happened. Um, but when you look at it in the larger meta narrative of scripture, um, they can be seen as God's sovereign hand at work for his purposes. And again, more, more that we've talked about at length that God's always working everything together for his purposes, for his glory. Yep. Um, and, and he's going to bring his plan to fulfillment. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have, uh, the characters of Haman and Mordecai. They're the latest installment of a centuries old fight between the Amalekites and the Israelites. Yep. Um, the, the, uh, Haman building the gallows for Mordecai and then hanging from the gallows that he built for Mordecai <laughs> himself. Um, just yeah, the irony that Anthony's already talked about. That's, I mean, just uh, humorous in some ways, but also like really sad in yeah. others. Uh, it, you know, it really reminds me like when you're, when you're watching a movie and you see the, like the bad guy doing things and you know, like, okay, this is the bad guy. The narrative is there. You know, this is the bad guy you love. Like, there's always that feel good moment when the bad guy gets the punishment that he intended for somebody else, you know, whatever it is. And so, yeah. you know, you have Haman who wants to destroy the Jews because he doesn't like them because he's an Amalekite and Mordecai ends up basically coaching his niece and, you know, and then he falls to the thing that he was trying to, you know, it, it's, it's irony is always a great human emotion. It really yeah. is. So <laughs> yeah, it really is. So I don't know if there was anything else we needed to well hit the, on there. So the one, the only other thing that I would I would link this to is on this whole Haman Mordecai thing that we've kind of been on here for a second. There is a link, and and this just again it shows the connection of all of Scripture. Um, you get this picture of Haman being an Amalekite uh, and linking, take, take that all the way back to first Samuel 15 um, when Saul was supposed to destroy and slay the Amalekite King. And he didn't. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Saul's disobedience at that point in time has set up this story that we have here before us. So see, see one, you know, a couple of things here see the effects of your of your disobedience but also even in your disobedience god will continue to work and he will bring his purposes mm-hmm. because it put mordecai where he needed to be it put esther where she needed to be everything fell exactly the way god intended it to fall yeah 
So, yeah, there's there's no way that you or I or anybody can mess up God's plan enough to where he's just the final result is not what he originally intended. Exactly. The path may change, but he already knows that. Yeah. So his path doesn't change. Our his, path might yeah, change. <laughs> our, yeah. The, the path, the path for his plan might change, but he's not the one that changes. Exactly. I hope I worded that right. I hope yep. I'm not a heretic. <laughs> Not tonight. You're good. Okay, good. I mean, drinking beer. Uh, if you drink IPAs, we're still. We're, you might be a heretic if you drink IPAs. Hey, so we'll what discuss if I, that later. What if I pour a bunch out? That makes you a super Christian. Okay, cool. In my book. So, All right. So anyway, uh, we've we've oriented ourselves. We've gotten some advice for reading Esther. Let's uh, fly through this overview. There's not many sections here, um, but let's do it. So. Um, I'll start because I'm already talking. Uh, <laughs> first, the first like chapter and a half of Esther is we we get the setting in the main characters of mm-hmm. the book. Um, we have the main characters are Xerxes, Vashti, Mordecai, and Vashti. Vashti, yep. Vashti. Okay. I'm I'm always like ever. <laughs> I was thinking about it earlier this week. Ever since episode one, when I butchered <laughs> a greek word <laughs> a greek word <laughs> or masek, whatever it was like i am terrified to read anything that's not english <laughs> so uh xerxes vashti mordecai and esther are the main characters mm-hmm. um vashti refuses the king and ends up being disposed uh deposed not disposed deposed <laughs> Um, kind of the same thing. <laughs> yeah, six oh one, I guess. And then um, Esther keeps quiet about her ethnic heritage. That's like the that's what's setting up what's going to happen in the coming cha- uh, chapters here. Yep. So and and I mean there there's been people who have actually said that that was slightly deceptive, like her not coming forward with that information, um, because there's a possibility that if the king would have known that she was an Israelite, that he would not have made her queen. Um, and so, you know, there's that, there's kind of that like plot twist right there. Um, but when you get to, uh, the end of chapter two, ending of chapter two, all the way through chapter three, you get the development of the plot. Um, you see the, the struggle between Mordecai and Haman, you see Mordecai kind of coaching Esther, um, telling her she needs to warn the king, um, and he's, you know, he's kind of given her these, these heart to heart. She seems to be, she's portrayed as a very shy, a very reserved, uh, young woman. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she's like, she doesn't know how to respond. And so she had, she relies on Mordecai, uh, in that, in the, a lot of those situations to kind of give her advice and help. Um, and, and, uh, ultimately you end up seeing, Haman with this like plot to destroy not only Mordecai, but all of Mordecai's people because of his hatred. And, and um, that's what we talked about uh, at the at kind of setting it up. There's this genocide that's trying to be undertaken by Haman where he wants to destroy all of the Jewish people, all of the Israelites. Yeah. Um, and so that folds into uh, that rolls into um the development of this plot and then the setup of really the next three chapters. So take us through the next three chapters there. So uh, we have Mordecai and Esther, Haman and Xerxes. Um, We see Haman's plan backfiring because of Esther's position. Um, And 
Mordecai having to encourage Esther to use her position to influence the king. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, and then finally, like we've already talked about with the gallows that were intended for Mordecai, they end up being used on Haman. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the Haman's plan backfiring because of Esther's position, like, like you were just saying, like, was Esther deceitful? Maybe. But Haman's plan to eradicate God's people kind of trumped that. Yeah. <laughs> that deceit, you know? Yeah. So, well, and, and it's, I mean, again, the, the argument of Esther concealing her ethnic heritage is, again, it's an argument from silence. You're accusing her of something because she didn't say anything. Right. And so it's, I mean, I get it. I mean, I, I understand why you're saying that there's that it's questionable, but at the end of the day, it's not questionable because the king never said to her, you know, Esther, what race, what nationality are you? And then she lied to him. It's, you know, it, it's it's not like it, it was an outright deception. It was right. just she didn't say she just she went kept, along with what, she what the flow that, was going. She kept that information to herself. That's right. Because she didn't see that it was important to um, die bulge of that information at that time that's right and so. so you you have that um that interaction there between mordecai esther Haman, xerxes um and and all of that kind of develops into esther convincing the king that you know or basically showing the king what kind of deceitful person Haman actually is and then that leads to chapter eight which is you know xerxes puts the decree out uh, on behalf of the Jews. Now, this is the interesting part because as the king, he can't just be like, yeah, that law that I made, that's bad. I probably shouldn't have done that. So we're just going to take that off the books. That would have been like a super um, faux pas, I guess you could say, back in that day. And right. so instead of like repealing what was there, he's just like, Psh, oh, well, here's a new one. <laughs> and And his new decree goes out and is basically a repeal of the old decree. It's like everything in the, in that decree is gone and here's the new one. And it's the exact opposite of what the old one was. Um, but they send it out to all of the different provinces in their own language. And what that ends up doing is, is you see a lot of conversion uh, because of the way that it favored the Jews, the way the decree favored the Jews, you see conversion of people, conversion of Gentiles. Again, See the setup of what's coming in the New Testament right here. Mm-hmm. Um, there's the conversion of Gentiles, and this ends up being a further fulfillment of the promise of Genesis uh, 12 and Abraham, uh, where he says, your descendants will outnumber the stars in the sky. Right. Um, and so you can see God beginning to work, and you can see pictures and images and uh the development of the story of what God is going to do with the Messiah. And he's going to bring everything under, under his rule uh, and under his reign. And so um, the, the decree from Xerxes really sets that up and really kind of starts painting more of that picture. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that leads to the the last two chapters yeah. where you see the Jews kind of take over. So take us through those last two chapters. So uh, the triumph of the Jews here at the end of Esther um, we see that the Jews engage in a holy war and slay their enemies. Um, we talked about in uh, some other, you know, especially like, uh, what was it, First Samuel, mm-hmm. where uh, disobedience led to their defeat. Um, and now we see 
the Jews winning a bunch of battles and and stuff like that. Um, we see the feast of Purim being established and celebrated. Um, so a lot of wine being drunk. That's that's lovely. Um, <laughs> and then uh, Mordecai gets promoted to a position that allows him to directly benefit the Jews. Yep. Um, so he gets into this position that he's basically now like a champion for them and, and mm-hmm. not like a champion, like look at how great he is, but like he's able to accomplish a lot more and do more for God's people because of the position he's been given. Yeah, exactly. You know, and, and it's funny because think about this story, Esther and Mordecai and um, in, in the narrative, there's never any hint or suggestion that Mordecai is doing what he's doing for any other reason than to protect his people. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and I, I, I'm going to say this cautiously, but I think Christians need to understand that when we engage in the political sphere and that, I mean, look, let's be honest, that's what Mordecai was doing. He was helping Esther persuade the king I mean, it's a political leader. He was helping Esther yeah. persuade the king, but he was never doing it with the underlying assumption of I'm going to get power and I'm doing this to better my own self and I'm doing this to promote my own agenda. It was always framed in a protective sense. He's there to protect his people. And, um, you know, I, I think that especially in today's society, in today's culture, we're so allured by political power that we end up making arguments that are not necessarily bad arguments, but we make them with the intention of trying to draw and gain political power. Mm-hmm. And that should never be the intention of followers of Christ. The intention is to protect your people. Right. And if you get political power, if God blesses you, that's fantastic. That's great. But if you don't, you stay the course. You do what's right. You know, I, I I think about Joseph. Joseph did what was right in every situation. Yeah. He ended up with political power, but he never sought political power. Right. He never strove after political power. And yeah. I think that's I've see I see it differently in today's society. I, I I maybe I'm wrong, and I hope I am wrong, but what I see is people using social media and whatever outlets you have to you know, own the other guy in an attempt to gain more followers so that you can have more, a bigger voice so that you can have yeah. more power, you know? Yeah. It, I think it'd be important for us as believers to remember that like all of the stuff we gain here on earth, tangible or not, isn't coming with us. Yeah. Like <laughs> the most powerful, like, the most powerful person on the face of the planet, if they profess Jesus, if they gain all that power and gain all the fame and money and possessions, like if they gain all that stuff when they die, all that stuff leaves them. And mm-hmm. they're, you know, your identity is is going to be found in Jesus and what you did for him. So I think instead of like pursuing after all that stuff and trying to get especially political power because of what we've been talking about tonight with Esther um, like we'd be better served not to you know just be obedient and let and let God bless us where he sees fit yeah <laughs>
Exactly. You know, stop trying to force stuff that's not necessarily God's will. Exactly. Bingo. So, <laughs> bingo, bango, bungo. Yep. Well, there's the book of Esther. We flew through that. Quick little summary there for you. Hope that was helpful and useful. Um, Michael, will you pray for us? I certainly will. Let's do this. Let's pray. Uh, God, thank you so much for just who you are and for your great love for us. Thank you for the book of Esther and how we can uh, take the truths that we learn here tonight and apply them uh, to our lives. And God, I just pray that you uh, help us to stay focused on honoring you, following you, being um, focused on you and um, not being thirsty for power, not being thirsty for authority or fame or whatever, God. I just pray that um, everything we do is done through the lens of uh, honoring you and uh, wanting to see your glory be known. So, uh, God, we thank you so much for every person who listens to this podcast. We thank you for um, just uh, the truths that we've been able to share. And I pray that you uh, just continue to to bless this uh, bless this time that we that Anthony and I get every single week to come together and just talk through your word. So God, be with us this week. Help us to just uh, make decisions that honor and glorify you. And uh, look forward to coming back next week to discuss uh, what we have next. And we love you, Jesus, and ask all these things in your precious name. Amen. Amen. Well, Anthony, if the listeners of the Beers and Bible podcast want to find us on social media, how would they do that? So to find us on social media, you can go to Instagram and search for beers and Bible underscore. And you can go to Twitter and search Beers and Bible P1. You can find us on Facebook by searching Beers and Bible Podcast. And then you can email us um, all of your concerns about how we're not going to do IPAs anymore um, to Beers and Bible Podcast at gmail.com. And we will gladly uh, take your suggestions and put them right into the trash can where IPAs belong. So. Don't come at us Savage. with your IPA stuff. Dang. <laughs> wow. Oh, my goodness. We probably just lost like 20 viewers right there. I don't know. <laughs> I feel like they hate IPAs as much as we do. I, don't, I feel like nobody actually likes IPAs. They just pretend to like IPAs. It's all a farce. It is. I don't know. Anyway, that's where you can find us on social medias. Um Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having a good week with us, a good time. Uh, if you want to reach out to us, do that. Give us some beer suggestions, all those good things. But until next week, I hope that your beer stays cold and your Bible stays open, and we'll see you later. Peace out. <laughs>